Welcome to Rebels Deconstructed Podcast. Listen to people in tech sharing their journey through criticism, failure, and staying true to their vision to make an impact. Pour yourself a drink and get inspired. Hi, and welcome to Rebels Deconstructed. I'm happy to be back hosting this episode, a conversation about technology and the complexities of building and shipping digital products with a guest I can't wait to know more about. Our guest for today is a technology lead for one of RebelDot's biggest enterprise clients, a global and well-renowned player in the gas industry. Working in product development for more than eight years, he gathered experience in building software, offering strategic advice to stakeholders and leading cross-functional product teams. Hi, Ciprian, and welcome to the studio. How are you today? Hi, Andrea. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing good. Um, just enjoying a sunny day. How about yourself? I'm actually very good. Um, I'm really happy the sun's finally out and it's, it feels like spring's um, coming to Romania finally. Yeah. And to yeah. Cluj especially. Um, I've actually spent quite a lot of time thinking about the question that I would want to start this, po- this podcast with. And I realized... No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> yes, yeah. no pressure. And I've realized that although we've been working together for almost a year, I think, yeah, I've never closer. really got to know your story. So maybe... Let's just start with your story and getting to know how you became a software engineer and a technology lead afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, let me present myself uh, first. So my name is uh, Ciprian or Ciprian for the English listeners. Ciprian, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I've been uh, working in the software industry for uh, eight years now, uh, doing various projects um, and um, mostly in the uh, JavaScript ecosystem. And um, yeah, it's quite um, complex to think back because a lot of things happened since I started. Um, but um, let's start the deconstruction of myself, I guess. Yes. How are your early days as a software developer? I, I would, I would have start. Um, I think I would, I would start earlier than that. Great. And I will go to, you know, I was uh, somewhere in the sixth grade. I- internet was becoming a thing. And for the first time, I've seen the, uh, you know, what a website is. Mm-hmm. There was a, a platform, I remember, it was called Pixel, <laughs> where you could create yourself a website, a web page that it was literally drag and drop. And I said, mm, this, is, this is quite cool, how, how, I can, how I can see the code behind it. And I've seen some, you know, uh, at the time was uh, HTML and CSS didn't know much about JavaScript. And I remember I had... Uh, some friends, it was uh, 6th or 7th grade, and we started to look into it, and we created our own uh, website for music. Uh, and it was that type of website where you, you download music, because you know it was that era where there was no Spotify, YouTube was not uh, you know, highly regarded for music or anything like that. So we were just those guys uploading an MP3 file somewhere, and then, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, uh, no one will come uh, after me uh, after I say this story. <laughs> uh, but at that time, I can say for sure that it wasn't illegal. So uh, then afterwards, uh, we created that. It was quite cool. And I said, mm, this is, this might be something I want to do when I grow up. Uh, so this was in sixth grade? Yeah, sixth or seventh grade. So um, then, you know, uh, time passed by. Um, I went into high school. Um, I left that for a while to, because my high school uh, was uh, more focused on economics and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I did accounting in high school. Uh, But in high school, I found something else, which was, uh, you know, um, I was uh, an artistic presenter, you know, when at proms and stuff like that. We have this in common. Yeah, with crowds. So um, I think uh, that that helped me to, you know, uh, understand myself better and uh, be able to speak more easily, communicate quite clear my my thoughts and what I think when I'm uh, high pressure or under emotion, because uh, that's that's quite important. Yeah, in high school, I was actually a very, very cool guy. Uh, I was, you know, very popular. Uh, but that was just because I, were, I was presenting stuff and everyone was <laughs> like, I know this guy, uh, not because something else. So, and then... Uh, I had to choose between, uh, you know, going in journalism or, uh, you know, going into my uh, passion about computers. And because I've always been uh, impressed by computers, I, I was absorbed when I first had my computer and I had to 
open that up, understand what the processor is, how, how that entire thing fits, fits together and works together. It was uh, quite impressive. And I always found that it's quite easy for me to understand and grasp knowledge around this, this stuff. So I said, uh, I had this choice to make between journalism and, and going to IT. And I said, okay, I'm going to IT because it's quite hard to be, uh, you know, a, a journalist and all that. Uh, so this is what it happened. So I went um, because I had my economic skills. I did something like business information systems where you do both programming, but how that is applied within a business. And that helped me a lot because it gave me a business perspective over things, but also, uh, uh, you know, like a, a perspective on, on the technical stuff, which I consider to be the, you know, the hard stuff you need to, to grasp. And you know, this is how I started. The, the, the early days were quite interesting. Uh, I think it was in college and um, I was, uh, my first job I remember was web technical support. It was for a, for an API, uh, quite huge for a, you know, um, for a company. I will not say his name, but it's, it doesn't matter. Uh, I just <laughs> had to deal with stuff like databases, answer mm-hmm. questions on integrations and all that. It was quite a cool job because it, it helped me lay the foundation of my English first because I had to answer to customers and all that. So it's quite hard. You need to um, perfect your English to do that. And uh, then the second thing was to, you know, understand how uh, someone would integrate an API and how would create a business out of it. And it was quite cool. I learned a lot. And then I said, you know, looking at all that those stuff, uh, my sixth, seventh grade kicks in again about front end, I was impressed by, by all those things. And I said, yeah, maybe it's time to look more into that. So I started on the front end path. And at that time, front end wasn't that cool. I mean, people were like, yeah, you're doing front end. Front end is not necessarily, uh, you're not like a developer. There was still this <laughs> mindset when I started. And um, I said, no, because I'm seeing that front end and back end are quite separated now. So I said, this is what I like to do and I want to do. And Shortly after, I, I guess two or three years after, front-end was a huge thing. There was Angular, there was React, um, there was Angular 2 again, and then you had Node. So you, from as a Java developer, you 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 could be a JavaScript developer. Sorry, you could be um, you know full stack quite easily. So it was it struck me, and it was really cool because I had this chance. And of course, I've been working uh, front-end, back-end. And now I'm trying to extend my knowledge to, you know, see and understand the DevOps side as well a bit. And I'm, I'm trying to certify my, myself on, on AWS, uh, AWS services because you can understand front-end and back-end, but you also need a structure for it. You need, you need to understand infrastructure to support all that greatness you have in your mind, right? Um, yeah, so that's, that's the next thing I'm trying to complete. Um, the everlasting learning circle. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm, you know, an avid learner. I, I, I like a lot to learn. I do that all by myself. And I think um, everyone that joins this path of, you know, being a software developer needs to understand that uh, learning never ends. And I think that should be applicable for everyone. We should never stop learning, uh, right? Because that, that's... That's in fact very true yeah. in actual. Um... So this, this is how I, I got here. And uh, yeah... Uh, there are a lot of things and ups and downs and lots of projects and all that, but uh, let's let's take them uh, one by one and let's see what the next question is. Yeah, I'm actually not going to follow the plan <laughs> because Perfect. I'm really eager to know something about you since you mentioned mm-hmm. your early high school days. Yeah. And there is this stigma that present developers are former nerds. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, would you label yourself as a former nerd? No. How are you in high school as a personality? No, uh, as I said, I was uh, very popular uh, during high school. Um, and, you know, I, was, I wasn't that bad at school. Uh, I wasn't that guy that was, you know, not showing up to classes or anything like that. Because I always, you know, uh, had in my mind a clear distinction between let's have fun and let's do work and that that uh, is still applies to this day uh fun is fun and work is work i have a clear distinction between those i never mix them uh, but i wasn't like the first one in the class i would say somewhere in you know mid so maybe. no straight tens no or no no i wasn't <laughs> that guy uh because i was focusing myself on learning more than the you know uh trying to memorize stuff that you got from school and i i was 
I, I did a lot of sports. I played volleyball for uh, six years and I've been in a, you know, junior team, professional team like that. Um, so I was spending, uh, you know, high school days between uh, organizing events, volleyball and school and trying to uh, keep up with all those. So if I could sum up that is trying to keep myself busy, which I do, I do to, to this day as well, uh, trying to keep myself busy. Um, because if I'm not doing that, I feel like I'm incomplete in a way. And that's why I try to do as much as I can. Uh, sometimes it's a bit exhausting, uh, but it's very rewarding, at least for myself. That's, that's true. It's rewarding for me as well. And I think finding a great balance between fun and work and uh, mindfulness and focus work is vital to today's ever dynamic ecosystem yeah. and industry that we're in. Um, which actually leads me to my next question, which is a bit about balance and growing up as a human mm -hmm. and as a professional. You mentioned the fact that you've always been drawn towards technology, but you also had this soft spot for communications and connecting with people. As uh, you just mentioned, you had um, presenter experience in your high school and maybe in college as well. Do you think this played a an important role in your formation as a technology lead and I'm most interested yeah. in the leadership uh, side of yeah, it. Yeah, okay, I will say about that. So um, this is a quite complex topic and I think it, it goes to um, stuff related to leadership. So even though you're a technical lead, that doesn't mean you're the smartest guy in the room. It means that you understand people and together you can connect two, three brains or whatever your team size is. And you can make greatness out of that, right? Because being a, a leader is not about you, it's about the people under you, right? It's about how do you make them work uh, coherent, make sure that they like what they, they do and all that stuff. Um, and I think that um, every test I do shows me as a people-oriented person. I, that comes natural to me. It's, it's quite easy. It might be genetics. It might be um, the way I've been... Um, um, you know, uh, back at home and uh, how, how all that affected me. I don't know what that answer is, but it's quite easy to me to connect people and try to make them connect the dots earlier than I did or uh, try to help them see their potentials uh, the way they, they are not able to, to see. And one, I think, um, one book that changed my mind and I would recommend to everyone, of course, that tries to be a technical lead or leaders, at, 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 you know, at any level, because I don't think it's only about the technical leaders, it's about people that try to understand people and try to make them work together. Because sometimes you can be, as I said, a technical lead, but you might have in your team guys that are way smarter than you technically. And you must accept that. You must not say uh, or try to impose your ideas just because you're there and you have the power. I actually just wanted to, sorry for stopping you for no a problem. second here. I just, I was on my way of saying that one of my favorite parts about being a leader is that you actually get to hire people that are smarter than you. Yeah. This is for me the most exciting thing. And every time I interview people or I'm thinking about expanding the, the marketing team or sales team at Rebel.i, always try to find people that are better than me at things that I suck at because we have things that exactly. we suck at. Yeah, I, I think, and and going uh, to, to mentioning that book I was saying um, is about uh, Drive by Daniel Pink, which, you know, describes like uh, uh, stuff like mastery, autonomy, purpose, which are the three pillars to create uh, motivation for, for someone to perform in a, you know, high, highly creative environment because you cannot apply those those principles that um, we we used to apply on people to to work right, uh, work hard, or try to micromanagement them. Because when 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 it's about creativeness, you need you need a different context and a different environment. So therefore, you need modern techniques, and and it's not like you need those tools. You, you just need to truly understand them and try to 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 share all that. Um, and so if I think if everything I've done in high school was helpful, yes, because it helped me, as I said, communicate and articulate my ideas better. Uh, and when you can clearly uh, express an idea to more people, um, then it's quite, uh, quite easy to bring them together. So I, uh, I sometimes can 
um, make myself understood in a room where it's quite crowded or there's a lot of noise. I don't know why this happens, but I find that quite easy to um, help people mediate problems and solve conflicts and that. And I, I'm just grateful for that. And I, I've been working, of course, learning to master this skill. Uh, but I think, um, you know, th th this is a great thing a leader should have to understand people and make sure they are uh, th these three pillars like mastery, autonomy and purpose are all met. And if you uh, want to find out more about that, just read Daniel Spink book about it. It's called Drive and you'll get more learning than I can say in the next you know, minutes I'm, I'm here. Yeah. You mentioned autonomy and you also mentioned micromanagement, which triggered something in me because growing as a professional, not doing micromanagement and trusting people and letting go, letting go of work that um, maybe is done different than I would have, but still good enough was one of my biggest challenges. And I wanted to ask how you grew out of that and um, what helps you let go of micromanagement today? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So um, I think first time is about creating the context and make sure that and give people the chance to fail, right? You should be given the chance to fail. I love that. Because if you're, if you're not failing, then you cannot progress, right? Because we make mistakes. That's part of our everyday lives. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone's success is a, you know, probably a long list of failures. We see success to a different lens and we think that someone is, we see only the successful part, but not necessarily the hard effort between, you know, behind and how many failures there were. So why do we punish then people when they fail? Makes no sense if success is a long list of failures, right? Makes sense when we say it that way. But in your everyday life, when someone, you know, fails to meet a task or something, we, we get angry. We say, you know, we, we, we try to find out someone to blame, but that's not the right approach. We should give room to failure. And the most important part is to understand something from that failure. Because if you fail and you're not uh, thinking retrospectively about that, or you're, you're not sitting down to see how you can do better next time. Okay, I failed this time because of that. How can I get some learnings from that so that the next time I have a bigger failure, you, you know, bigger in the sense this failure will meet, will lead me to the next failure and so on and so forth until I manage to get something highly successful. Because, you know, in those failures, you get a lot of success in between. But, you know, um, there was a saying that uh, failure is, is the uh, biggest professor. I mean, you get the greatest le lessons from there because... Let's be honest, when you win something, you're not learning much. But when you fail, you learn a lot. About yourself and about your work and about the people you work with. Exactly. So um, I think it's about creating the trust. And once people trust you, they will work really hard regardless. And another approach I found, you know, uh, on my way, and there were people that, and I will mention them here. One guy is Joe Thompson and the other one is David Bone. So they were part of a previous company I've been in. Um, so um, the previous company was, uh, you know, more British. It had a different mindset and uh, all that. So it helped me a lot because, you know, everyone uh, in Romania, or at least our parents, and it's not their fault, grew up with, you know, the communist mindset about work and all that. So we couldn't have been better than that. You know, we are the product of that mindset and those behaviors. So, but I had the luck to be, you know, in a company with, with, with people that had a different mindset and then uh, that made me uh, open open up uh, and try to understand how big the world is how what uh, what a wider perspective you should have on things and it, it was um, quite amazing um, if i must say about that and i i will always be thankful for it and one thing they told me and i learned from them was when someone fails the first thing uh, you should do, you should go to that person and see if maybe, maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe, uh, you know, they had a problem in their lives, you know, some, they had a breakup or, because you never know what happens. And instead of, you know, saying you failed, you try to understand what the problem is, try to see how you can help. And instead of saying you failed, but I would go and say, I see something happened lately. Is there something I can help? 
and this is totally different, a different approach. So this, this allows for trust. And when you create that sort of trust, it becomes, you know, like the, um, a high quality relationship with that uh, person. And I think this is what we need to do, high quality relationships. And in fact, there's a book um, about it, uh, and I'll mention it, it's called The Three Elements of Trust. It's by Jack Zenger and Joseph Hoffman. And this guy, uh, this guy uh, did a quite extensive study on um, 87,000 leaders to find out what a leader is and how, how someone will perceive a leader and will make sure it's, it's a trust relationship between you and the leader. And the three key elements of trust are the positive relationships, which you need to spend a lot of effort in building. And that's the first one that comes in, in that study. The second one is uh, that a leader should have a good judgment and expertise. I mean, you should be validated as you know someone that knows stuff. And the third one is about being consistent. As in, when you promise something as a leader, you need to make sure that you're delivering what you promise against those people. And um, I found that when I reached this knowledge that, you know, this, this thing is technical about what elements, but it makes a lot of sense to me because without knowing it, sometimes I felt it. this is how I create, you know, trust between me and people. And I'm trying to make sure that, you know, uh, we work in a safe environment and I create that greatness about being creative which is you know something you need to put effort in but if it were like a you know technical way on how do you do that i think this is one book that will help a lot in understanding these three um three elements yeah i also wanted to ask you about what makes a great team player and what do you look at when you look at a team you would want to be working with yeah i i've been thinking about that and um, it's, it's, it's a bit more complex, but I'll try to shorten the, the answer. So uh, I think one should be, at least, you know, maybe in everyday life, but especially in, in software, should be smart and kind. Because sometimes I found in life that people that are smart, they have a high ego. And um, that's why I say smart and kind, because you also need to be kind with your team players. Or, you know what I said I don't know, I need your help. If someone is not kind, but smart, well, not that great. He will become brilliant, but in isolation. And I think in a world where everyone needs to be connected or you need to be part of a team, uh, you need to be smart and kind. And the second thing would be about having the grit. Because sometimes I, you know, I think someone, so let, let me uh, say what's the definition of grit by uh, Angela Duckworth. He wrote a book about it and he did some studies around it, tried to understand the psych psychology around it. But uh, the definition of grit by, by her is passion and sustained persistence applied toward long-term achievement. So sometimes I saw that one can be, uh, you know, less smart, let's say, or, you know, knows uh, less stuff than, than someone who's, you know, way, way smart. But the problem is you cannot beat grit and persistence and someone who's passionate about that. Because someone who has passion, you know, it's that old thing about you can have talent, but you're, if you're not working to, you know, refine that talent, if you're not having the grit, the passion to sustain that talent, whatever, no one will care about it. But I, I have found people that are not necessarily, you know, the best developers out there or that they find the most creative solution, but they have the grit and once they have, you know, the correct or the right context, they produce amazing results. And I think, you know, being smart and kind and seeing that grit in someone where, you know, has passion and, and he has a long-term thinking about how do I achieve whatever I said. So this is how I, how, how I would view a great, um, you know, team player. Because if you're thinking like that, you... you and you have this long-term vision, you will understand that you will need people in order to get there. So you need the help from each other and each other needs your help because this is about everyone progressing, not just yourself. So when you're competing in, with yourself and you're asking, I don't know, can you help me? You know, you're progressing with yourself. You're not competing with your colleague. Because that's, that's not the point. Being a team player is being available for everyone in the team. So I think, yeah, this is... The answer for it. 
You've said so many valuable things. I feel like we just need to take a second to absorb everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, we, we, we can do a second session afterwards. So. It's amazing. Amazing. Thank you for sharing everything. And it's um, it's really nice to, to get to know all of these things and how you apply them in your day-to-day job and life. And again, I'm going to be sidetracked for my initial questions plan. And I'm just going to go with no another problem. question because this was really inspiring. You've mentioned relationships and relationships are a huge part of our life today. I yeah. think everything revolves around them. And a lot of us struggle in forming and maintaining a relationship, especially at work and in just day-to-day life, general life. What is one thing that you apply in helping you form and maintain your relationships? And what do you look for into relationships? Yeah, that's a good question and it's a hard one. Because um, I, uh, what I do for uh, creating quality relationships, I think it's about the quality mm-hmm. I'm more interested in than creating lots of relationships. Because um, when you're truly invested in a relationship, some uh, you know, the other party uh, will feel it. So if you're just faking it just to get something, they that person will will feel it so um the way i approach things is to really care about the one that's you know i'm getting in touch with or with which i'm trying to create a relationship and um whether it's work or life um i have friends but not many but those who are my friends in you know personal life uh, there's a quite tight connection between us is you know we have been friends since childhood or mm-hmm. stuff like that and it's it's quite amazing I'm always trying to make sure that I'm not, uh, if I create a relationship, I'm not taking stuff, but I'm giving stuff, I think is is both ways. And you need to understand that, that you just cannot create a relationship and expect only to take, 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 but you have to give, 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 and you should give more than you actually take. Because, you know, some people come in your life and it's just temporary. And why, why would you be, uh, you know, not a, a pleasant person in their life and um, be be kept in their mind like that. So I'm always, you know, trying to be, it's a complex uh, thing I'm going to say now, but it's a TED talk. It's called Be Humble, if you find it. And it's about a, a philosophy uh, of, of water. So it's like uh, being humble, I think, is at the core of that. And uh, it has three different components, like H2O, like, uh, you know, the chemical uh, formula for water which is one is harmony and then is um, you know humility and then is uh, the uh, openness so um, if you will look through that lens through people and trying to harmony is like making sure you're not um, imposing yourself pretending like you know everything and it's fine just to say, I don't know, I need your help. Can you do it? Can, can you help me understand that? And you'll see if, if you go to someone and say, I don't know, can you help me? You're vulnerable. And that leads to, you know, okay, I will help you because you're not trying to impose something or, or try to know or pretend like you know the answers because you, you don't know to have every answer. And, you know, this is quite important for a technical lead. You need to say, I don't know, I need your help. Because you just, you can think a bit in, in perspective, right? But you will need stuff for those things that are quite small, that, that, that need more investigation. So it's completely fine to say, I don't know. It's not that if you're C-level or um, tech lead, you need to say, I have the answer to, to everything. That, that's completely wrong. This is not how you create relationships. And, you know, the, uh, this is how I view... Uh, things and I think they, they should unfold in a relationship. It's not about taking, but about giving more, being vulnerable and creating high quality relationships every day because there's no point in, you know, creating tension in your life or making, you know, uh, one's life miserable just because you can or you, you never, sh- you should never do that. Yes, Re- regardless if it's, you know, someone that's not in direct interest to you or you might never benefit from that relationship, you should always be kind. Smart and kind. Very nice. You mentioned vulnerability, humbleness, and then we talked about um, letting people fail. And I think it's very important in our day-to-day roles as leaders or people to be acceptive with our failures 
because I've I found out that you can't really encourage people to be brave of, about their failures if you yourself don't show them your failures because they're usually what happens in a mentor-mentee relationship the mentee just replicates what they see in the mentor so if you are not comfortable with your failures and you don't have a healthy approach in regards to them you can really expect people to be vulnerable and acceptive with exactly, their yeah. failures yeah because you know if you try to be like someone that knows it all they will start the, the second time they have a bit of power they will do know it all because same they, as you did. they think that they have to yeah, know it all they think and that's this, really painful yeah it's really painful to know it all right <laughs> you just don't need to have an answer for everything you just need to, to know where to ask for that and that's fine it's yeah. healthy it's being and human. it's totally fine to say i don't know yes you've already mentioned a few people that inspired you but i wanted to ask if you would add to that list any mentors and people that helped you in your journey and how they've helped you Yeah, so I, I, as I said, Joe Thompson and, and David Bone. So these guys were, uh, you know, part of the, my previous company and I, I will shout out for that. And I will always be uh, humble and I will always be grateful for meeting them in my life. Um, but apart from that, I think my vision was, sh was shaped a bit by, uh, if I can say a book and an author I like, it's about Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. And I think there are, you know, he's setting a trend mm -hmm. of, you know, purpose and all that and when you read Simon Sinek and then you read like Daniel Pink and when you uh, collide this information together there's a lot of sense and they they go hand in hand and you know Rebeldot is one of those company that, companies that are joining this trend of uh, you know Simon Sinek where we discuss more about purpose and what we do and autonomy and um, all that. that that's why I'm here because I've been hearing that stuff I, I was trying to make sure that you know things are connected from you okay you have the values of the company but you need to make sure that actions are coherent with your values because otherwise you walk the talk yeah it doesn't make sense to have values if the actions are the opposite so um your actions are those that are transcribing that so i think mm, what so in my journey because i said I, i've been a front end then like then some full stack stuff with node and at some point you know i Um, I had a chance to step up in my previous company as a head of technology. So in that um, that role, I had the chance to find out more about, you know, uh, culture within an organization and try how to make this uh, coherence between values and actions. So it was a great learning for me. And I think, as I, as I was saying, Simon Sinek helped me a lot to, to shape this knowledge and I would recommend everyone to lead, uh, to, to, to read, sorry, Um, start with why and find your why and leaders eat last so all these three books are great and um, one thing I also like about Rebel Dot is always asking why and um, when you go to a design workshop as a client or we ask why why do we want to do that because it's very this is a such a simple question but it's so important to you know to get across the line why you do what you do and that applies to you know developers as well why you do why this motivates you to do that and trying to understand the substance of it makes a lot of sense because this why is that that thing that makes you uh you know um, motivated and curious in the morning that you know you want to wake up to go and do that you're passionate about it and you know i think everyone deserves a chance And uh, to, to work in an environment where they feel praised, when they like what they do and they are coherent with their values, right? Because everyone has values. You just need to make sure that your values are in accordance with company's values. So if that happens, uh, I think we will see just, you know, like a hockey stick in startups when it comes to numbers. Uh, but that will, will, will be someone's progression across career. It will just explode and they will have a lot of ideas and Yeah, so it's quite a complex. Um, yeah, and another thing that shaped, because you, you are asking about mentors and all that. Um, I think uh, listening to Mind Architect podcast, I I don't think if there's, I, I don't know if there's an English substitute for that, but it's more Romanian oriented. 
but that's not the point. So if someone would like to listen, mind architect, I would recommend that because one important aspect I haven't said about a leader, you need to understand yourself first. Because if you're not understanding yourself, you're not capable of understanding others. That's the first rule, I think, and the most important, because if you're having issues, those issues will reflect upon your teammates. So how can you produce values um, and try understand people if you're not understanding yourself first? And I, I'm not, I don't think it's a journey that stops somewhere. Oh, I understood my, myself finally. I think is you know, something you constantly need to work on, get better, and every day wake up and try to do a, if you're trying to compete with someone, that someone is yourself. And you should make sure that that, that that self is better than it was yesterday or a week ago, instead of trying to compare yourself with someone which is 10 years ahead of you. So if you try to compare with someone, just think, this is how I, I do it. I'm thinking, okay, that someone is that far. I, I like that. I would like to be there. But he spent 10 years already in order to be there. If I spend 10 years, I will be in the same position. Can I do it faster? Because that's only about you. So you can incorporate values in your life, but you should compare only with yourself and try to be better than you was yesterday. And um, I don't think that people apply that in their lives. They just compare with you know someone right. else, and especially in our country where we have a high competitive competitiveness because of the way we've been uh, raised in school and all that, you know, and, uh, but, you know, trying to understand that you're competing with yourself, if you can do that, it's really powerful. Amazing. And yeah, I think that that's it. And, you know, there, there's also a podcast about hacking work mm -hmm. that I found out recently. Um, and we, that's quite amazing too. I would recommend uh, that's more about work ethics. It's about the Simon Sinek movement, mm -hmm. the drive, wh whatever I said so far, it, you will find it in there and you'll see that people are discussing about it. The change is coming. And as a leader, you should be better prepared for it because it will come and, you know, people will expect you to be uh, and behave in that way and make sure you care about them. People are no longer a resource. Yes. People are people. Yeah, and since you mentioned this um, change in the work ecosystem, I can't help it but ask you about um, this freelancing trend and how you see the community and our need of community and working in teams, coordinating with micro jobs and um, people doing a lot of different freelancing jobs at the time. Yeah. Where, I, where do you think this is leading? What are we doing with our lives? Yeah, I have an answer for it. Um, and it's quite simple. Uh, and I think it works. So my theory is, is as follows. So um, let's face it, pe people working in IT make enough money or they make good money. So as long as that's sold, as in you, you make good money and you're, you know, from the Maslow pyramid, your your basic needs are met. Because at some point, uh, during a month or anything else, you, you will spend some money and there will be a income that's, that's left to you to, you know, invest or do something like that. The problem is, the, m the more you earn for that, you will never know what to do with those money. And that's not a problem. It's up to everyone to, to choose what, if they, if they want to have a bigger, you know, profit let's say you mm -hmm. know when, when when the way you spend and what you earn and you have the profit right so if your profits are bigger you won't be happier right it, it, you, you will just have more money but you're not happy and the problem is when you do freelancing uh, sometimes it's quite stressful or you feel like you do not belong so i think in order for companies to succeed and make sure you know because everyone can do freelancing now with remote remote working is if possible, try to make uh, to make those people feel integrated. Because at, at a certain point in time, money will not, um, I mean, the profit, uh, okay, will be just more money, but you will not be fulfilled. Because it's not just about money. It should be a combination with, I'm making enough money, and the why I'm doing is, 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 is very important. That's why I speak a lot about why and you should do stuff. Because it's not just about the money. It's about the money and making sure that the craftsmanship, you're proud of that. And if, if as a company, 
we managed to create the context to be proud and you also make you know uh, good money compared to freelancing then i don't see why would why one wouldn't join and i think we have you know um people stay at rebel dot and i don't think they they live no we have a very good retention rate actually yeah, yeah. and i know i heard about that and um you can clearly see why because everyone is working hard to create an environment where you belong to where you like to go to people that think alike you know that they they do social stuff like social responsibility and you know about the great things rebel dot does to you know donate money and i think you know doing all this kind of stuff as a freelancer you never get a chance to see it or feel it and money are not making you happy after a certain point. You need money until a certain point, and until those needs are met. Beyond that point, is you know just what else? What you you will take a an expensive, you know, holiday somewhere. Will that make you happy? You just don't know. Because happiness, you know, I don't think we should be, you know, happiness uh, all day. Or I think it it happens at certain moments. But imagine how much time for our, from our life work takes uh, takes us from our life sorry and why why not making that like a process you enjoy why why would you be happy only when you do holidays shouldn't be like that or because you know we, we it should be a combination between money and why as i said i've recently just read um i think in one of chris Voss's book books but don't don't take my word for it because i might mistake this um he was talking about salary increases and how incremental salary increases only give extra motivation for two to three months when the employee will actually come and ask for another increase if he's only motivated by this so just as you said this is very short-term fuel that yeah yeah, I, I think I on. saw a study like if you get a, an increase in amount of money, you will most likely live in six to 12 months if there were fundamental problems, like you do not belong there. You feel, you know, your values are no longer in a, in accordance with those that company's values or that project or, you know, uh, you will live anyway. Um, money are just a short-term motivator. So um, I'm not saying people should not, be paid enough, uh, be paid enough. <laughs> no. no that's not the point of that but i'm saying that you know when when you get an offer that's considerable with a freelancing role or you need to to wait between values why and all that stuff and the money not just the money and if you're only driven um by money that's that's fine. totally fine yes. maybe people do not have the same the same values values and, and ideas i have and that's yes. totally fine everyone is entitled to think whatever they want yes of course um where do you find purpose in your life today well this is this is complex um and this is a very complex question because it is. <laughs> um i so my biggest dream is to um create something that brings a lot of value to people that affects life in a positive way and my biggest dream is to have of course my own startup that produces something and you know that um, affects or solves a problem that has a real value in a, in a society and I've been taking some steps up for that so together with one of my colleagues we started some time ago I think uh, before the pandemic started um, we did a small project. It's called PharmaFind. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's an app, local app in here that you know tries to connect uh, people with pharmacies around them and try to um, shorten the loop when you when you try to find uh, you know like any drugs you you might need for your health condition. So um, and I we've been creating that um, when we were in our uh, you know after work mm -hmm. we did that after work and it was impressive how much energy i felt even though i was tired you know with my daily projects and all that so if i have a goal in my mind i would like to you know increase that or if if that will not be the idea because you know a startup has so many moving parts and i've learned a, a lot about startups and how they work and because i was forced to um 
I would like to apply the knowledge still because it was the biggest sense of why I ever felt. So imagine my life like a roadmap. I always l- try to create a roadmap and I try to picture myself in a certain way. And I'm asking myself as I'm going towards that, every action I do so or you know, any project I take, the question is, is that leading me in that direction? If I'm doing that, will, will that help me reach that point? So this is how I take certain actions. So because I'm seeing, I'm trying to see the purposeful life I want, uh, you know, I have purpose today as well because I'm dreaming about that. That's my purpose. That's my dream. Everyone, I think, should have dreams because otherwise life would be pointless if you're not dreaming about something, right? You, you should you should aspire, uh, you know, somewhere or try to become something, you know. Um, if I look back in the early days, I, I would aspire to be a technical lead I would, or I would aspire to be a senior software engineer because, you know, I think that changes over uh, as you find out more. So, and I'm trying to have this, you know, question, am I on the right path? Am I going where I, where I should need? And I'm trying to make, 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 make sure that I'm coherent with that. Because if you're not having a coherence with yourself, then you cannot longer have purpose, right? It's quite hard because you're fighting against yourself. So I think purpose is also about being coherent with yourself and what you feel. And this is how, how I take actions. And you, you say about meditation and all that. We have, let's face it, these jobs we have are very stressful. Yeah. And we have a lot of um, times where you need to you know, make sure that you're keeping your uh, sanity check on your <laughs> mind. And either you meditate or you go running, because, for example, I use running as well for that, trying to shorten the... Because, you know, every time you feel stressed or you have a micro fight with someone, you know, you you have that fight-flight um, response. So, therefore, you get adrenaline and cortisol in your body. So, in order to finish that cycle, you need endorphins. And you get endorphins by doing sports or you can meditate and try to feel better and you will calm your mind down. So, yeah, I think uh, this is very complex and I'm trying to balance that cycle out. But my purpose is ultimately where I want, what I want to become. And if I want to become a complex person, then I need to, to do complex stuff. And I'm trying to take, you know, most of the challenges that are coming my way and I'm trying to look at the challenge from the fun angle. Okay, I'm, because because if you come to me and I don't know something, I'm very keen to learn that, and I think um, this is very help. This has been very helpful for me because I'll say I'm a, I'm a learner and I try to learn stuff. I try to expand my knowledge, and I don't think this will ever end. I I just want to absorb information, and I hope my brain will, uh, <laughs> you know, remain the same um, for the next years or so. But I find this uh, to be perfect you know, very purposeful. And um, it's because my values are aligned with my work. That's what gives me purpose. Yeah. Great. And what inspires you in your day-to-day life? I've recently tried answering this question. Uh, I'm doing what is called mindful journaling and mindful writing. And one of the uh, questions... Uh, last week was about the things that inspire myself and I had to list a couple of, um, I think it was 10 or 15 things that inspire me in my day-to-day, day-to-day life. And since then, I've been planning to ask you about what inspires you. Yeah, so I think I'm inspired by, so let's let's put it this way. As a software engineer, you have a lot of power in your hands and you can create amazing stuff. So I find that inspiring that with these hands and with my brain, I can create some software that will affect someone's life. And the end goal is affecting someone's life in a positive way. If someone comes to you and say, thank you for building this, it, it really saved me for that. And I had this type of, of feedback and, you know, you can get it for from your clients as well because it's, it's also about, you know, you have the client that we as rebel.we we go to and we try to understand the whys and all that. But actually the end customer is the one benefiting from that. So I always think about the end customer and I'm seeing how can I create an impact on that? How can I make sure that's the best possible way I know at this point in time? Because, you know, five years from now, I might 
take challenges differently or I might see them from a different angle because, you know, you should you should grow and all that. But how can you make the best possible thing to impact someone's life in a positive manner? So this is what motivates me, that inspires me, that, you know, it's that inspiration that you, you can ease someone's life. And I, I say on my LinkedIn that um, I think everyone should make um, people's life easier through use of technology. So I think if you have so much power in your hands, uh, you know, try to create software or at least tools or whatever that you're proud of, right? You should be proud about, about your work. So that inspires me. Another thing that inspires me is when I see that someone is growing by my side. So if I'm, if I'm, you know, try, uh, as a tech lead, for example, I find very, uh, I find it very inspiring when someone comes to me and say, you know, thank you for for helping me overcome that or for showing me that idea or that makes a lot of sense. You know, that that sort of you know, pe- people come back to you and say, you know, thank you, and you truly see that they are evolving by your side and they they feel confident and they would do, um, you know, anything to to tell you that. So. Um, I find that 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 really inspiring of having an impact whatever you do I think is 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 my main goal and I find that inspiring and I I'm trying to always absorb inspiration from that how can I make a a big impact and I have applied these principles to the projects I've been involved always having the end customer in mind and seeing what values I'm bringing whether it's B2B B2C it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. in the end a human being is using that software. So how you do that better and better. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, Since we're slowly getting to the more technical questions that I had planned for our discussion, um, I wanted to ask how you see technology's role in today's world and what is the value of it today? Yeah, that, this is a good question. As I, as I said, I think it's very important um, because you can make life easier with technology, right? But um, for example, as we see this, you know, all the tools we have sometimes make us feel more disconnected. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Um, I don't know what the answer for that would be because people spend a lot of time on phones and everyone is fighting to have your time, right? As, as an app, I want to have your time and make sure you're, you're using my app and all that. But if you look progress-wise, we've been progressing a lot of because of technology and I think we will do it even, even more so. And I think the world is shifting towards a creative era where there's no longer about making mundane, repetitive tasks but it's shifting to, you know, something that's greater and, you know, because AI and all that stuff, it will just, you know, whenever there's a pattern, there will be a software for that because this is how software works, right? We see a pattern and we, we just try to implement a tool for it. Um, so I think it will still, because uh, you can see how many, you know, companies have a need to uh, make something digital and... Uh, I've been thinking about that and that there's, there's a saying from one guy uh, which is called Klaus Schwab. He's uh, an executive chairman at World Economic Forum. He said, in the new world, it is not the big fish which eats the small fish. It's the fast fish which eats the slow fish. So the problem is technology is changing in a way because it's, it's happening so fast. It's no longer about who's the big one. It's about who's the fastest one to deliver something that has value because historically you, if you are a you know like a big company uh, you had a lot of momentum things were moving a bit slower and you know you had you had the chance to eat the small fish but the problem is uh, nowadays it's about you know this all agile thing and that we all know already and everyone is you know everyone is agile which is not necessarily true but <laughs> Yeah, but but the thing is, um, everyone needs technology in 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 a way. I don't think that can be avoided. The problem is how you, how can you iterate fast, and how you how can you create value if you iterate fast? Because the the speed at which things are changing uh, is impressive. Even for a software developer, in five years' time, whatever you learned about a framework or a language or is completely changing sometimes. 
So you have to constantly adapt. And it's a, it, that's true for everyone, not for software developers only. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to adapt. So if we, if we are moving in a fast-paced environment or fast-paced life, um, where crea- creativity will be the one or the driver, um, then we will need to change a bit the way we think. But I think technology is for us and here for us to stay. I don't think it will just go away because, you know, it, and it's the blockchain that's coming, you know, that will change the world completely. Um, so, um, yeah, I think wh- whoever will have the um, capability to adapt fast um, will be the one who will succeed, but everyone will need technology in, in, in a way. And I think people will have the choice between choosing when to use it and when not. As long as everyone is aware of how much technology they need in in their lives, because we we just don't realize, but everything uh, on our life is now technology from, you know, your washing machine and your freezer and everything has a CPU that does something or it will be soon connected to something. And yeah, you just cannot avoid it. You, you need to live in the woods in order to play <laughs> this. And you might get some radio signals there as well. So, yeah, everyone need, uh, needs technology in a way. So why not create value fast if that's the trend? And why not make people's uh, life greater and, and make sure we we create stuff more than we just execute? I know that your experience ranges ranges from working with startups as well as huge enterprise companies, global Um, hence my question about what are the things you believe contribute to creating software that is valuable in today's extremely competitive ecosystem? Yeah, there's an entire book about that. I'm not going to go into it. It's called the Lean Startup, Mm -hmm. which I think is the Bible of every startup, but it, it's slowly becoming the Bible for, you know, big corporations as well, which I had a project which was for a big company and um, there's where I learned first about that because, you know, you have the entrepreneurs that do stuff, but you have the intrapreneurs, which are entrepreneurs inside a big corporation mm-hmm. that create small startups. So it will soon apply to big companies as well. So um, going back to that, I think, you know, having the Lean Startup and understand that there's a lot of knowledge in there is not something you can grasp after one reading. It's something you need to constantly go back to. Um, and I think one of the first that applied uh, that, it, it, you know, it's taken from Toyota. There are a lot of things that um, um, one needs to understand. But I think as a, maybe as you, you go more in depth as a technology lead, let's say, or whatever you do, you need to understand the, um, the Lean Startup principles. And I think going back to your question, how you create a lot of value for your customers is making sure you understand your customers, which sounds easy as a phrase, yeah, understanding my customers. But, you know, you have lots of metrics that you need to uh, go into. You you have to keep an eye on, you know, how is using the app, what's the most optimal route, what's the most valuable thing, you know. Um... There are a lot of things you need to to answer in in order to understand how you can create more value. And it's a cycle that never ends. I think great software that we see is just a continuous um, hypothesis and then an answer to that hypothesis, right? You have a hypothesis, you ask, okay, what, what are the metrics that will answer my question? And then you have the answer. And I think great software is built this way, where you have people that understand data and then that can analyze this data taken from, you know, how customers use their app uh, and all that. And how can you create that that great software? Because it's not a matter of in three months I create great software. Great software takes years to, to, to make, right? Google is Google because why? 20 years of right decisions. And this... Um, you know, this mindset of hypothesis, metrics, and result is very important when you build software. And I, I find that there uh, sometimes I, I find clients that do not necessarily understand that or about the happy flows. Because, you know, sometimes it's okay to have bugs. I'm not saying I'm promoting bugs or anything like <laughs> that. It's not something I like either. And I should, everyone should test their app. But the, 
the problem is sometimes you just need to see if it has real value because sometimes there are a lot of companies that are just wasting money on software or features that are never used or used um you know the impact on how much you've invested and how much value that has in in the market there's no equal sign in there right and you the faster you can find that uh, the better and if you find something that has a lot of values uh, value try to consolidate it try to make it even better and better and better and better and at that point you i think you and this is how you create great software and every time you interact with a great software you can feel it i don't know how to say it but when when you interact with it when you see how smoothly it works when everything makes sense the next step you want to do it makes sense because it's somehow instinctive and when you do you know this sort of let's say ab testing for example and you try to ab test the feature you 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 can take a guess how much percentage of people are uh, willing to click on that or that and you know you get like 70% will will click so chances are that if you go the next time you will have a 70% chance that you expect that button to be there so you know this is how you build great software it's not about only the software developers it's about those people that analyze data as well which is you know it's a role about product ownership with data analysis understanding how data works and i've seen persons understanding that and they can do quite amazing things they look at conversion rates they have sorts of charts they look at the data so uh, it's not something developers should learn we we have a lot to learn but that's not our role but um in my experience this is how i've seen great startup uh, not necessarily startup even startups but this is how software i think is is built in a, in a great manner and what's the role of a developer when it comes to building software that is adaptable yeah that's a good question um there are many things you know um so if you look from a backend perspective you need to make sure that things are scalable that you because the problem is as a backend dev any architecture choice you you make at the beginning of the project it will be really hard to change once once you grow so you need to you know think one or two steps ahead it depends on you know the project because um i've seen a lot of mvps being rewritten after understanding the it, it depend and it's not necessarily a problem um but you just need to really understand what's the business problem you're solving and trying to think one or two steps ahead and you know there are a lot of uh, principles you need to to apply to make sure that your architecture is um, is respecting good stuff on the front end side there's the part about you know creating a modular component based making sure you you allow for composition everyone you know knows this inheritance versus composition problem in software so i think the more you can compose with the stuff you build if it's small so there's a nice uh concept that i can present this idea so it is called uh, it's from atomic design but i've seen it in atomic frontend as well so imagine that you create a component that's as small as um it's a molecule right is mm-hmm. is uh, is quite small and then uh, uh, from that you you can create um an organism with that so you have the atom which is the first then you have the molecule then the organism so sometimes i think it's better to to think in what's the most unit testable way I, I can create because if you can unit test your code or uh, you can compose with that but i think this compose is is quite a complex word but every time when i create something i'm thinking can i compose with this mm-hmm. can i use it many times is it composable enough so you know and then there are a lot of principles in it to apply to your code to the file structure um which i won't go in depth but i think trying to compose is the key and um you know if you look at the front end world you will see that front end is moving for quite some years now to the web components era where everything is a component is encapsulated somewhere uh, you have the styling you know the structure of the component mm-hmm. and then they work greatly together hand in hand so everything is you know just you compose a collection of components together to get great software out of that and on the back end side is the same story you try to compose everything you have to make sure it's unit testable and then that they can reference reference each other and then 
every layer you build is testable and composable. So yeah, I think um, that would be that would be it. Um, I think I had a conversation with one of our clients back in November, and he told me an, a very interesting analogy when it comes to products that are adaptable. And I just wanted to share this with you and our listeners because I just thought of how interesting and brilliant that analogy was. Um, his application or the application they are building for this startup is a content-heavy and content-driven app. And he told me, you know, Andrea, I'm looking at this product and I'm looking at it as I would be looking at a living organism. And that struck me and I thought, wow, this is a brilliant way of looking at a digital product, especially when it's content-driven because it, it is molded and crafted by the users that you have in your app. So not looking at data and not being able to understand that sometimes data has better ideas than you have, I think is such a waste when it comes to building products that bring high return on investment. But this is an entire different conversation and we could be spending hours on this yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I think it would take more than you know, yes. this podcast. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Ciprian, thank you very much for your time today. I hope you felt great in, in our um, studio together with the guys that are across the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure that was, yeah. And I, I, I hope it was likewise, uh, you know. And uh, thank you for having me here and, you know, I uh, for letting me share my ideas and all that stuff. It was, uh, you know, a great time spent. Yes, it was a great experience for me as well. Thank you for everything you have shared with us. Yeah, no worries. Anytime. See you soon then. <laughs> yeah, bye-bye.